I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do come before you now at the beginning of our time in your word. We thank you that it is holy and inerrant in all things and that you have given it to us as that authoritative rule of life. We thank you that even this morning you have promised that as we listen and meditate on its word and its meaning that you will continue to enliven your saints and grow us in Christ. So to it now we turn with great expectation, Holy Spirit, meet with us in these very pages. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In our last couple months, as we were in Costa Rica at language school, we acted as big brothers to a new young family that was coming in. Idea was pretty simple. We were to show them around some of the basics of San Jose, show them how to get a taxi, how not to get... Uh, you know, what proper price was to pay for their taxi, you know, where the pharmacy was, how to get their visas and their fingers uh, prints uh, done at the police. And, and one of the important things was actually taking them to the grocery store for the first time. And we knew that as we had come in a year before, they're going to have a huge list of things that they needed to buy to set up a new home. And so we took them to the store and let them alone for a while. But it was almost an hour later and we started to worry as to what was happening. So we looked up and down the aisles, and it wasn't long before Shauna and I found them. Two huge grocery carts, just piled, stacked high. And she had a, a baby, a newborn in her, in her arms, and he had this little boy uh, that he was tugging along. And, and they were standing there in the middle of this aisle, talking so intently. And, and as we got closer, we started to see the problem. It seems that their shopping list it was so big and that everything was so new that it was taking quite a while to try to figure out what the product was. And even more than that, the issue was coming down to comparing prices of different products to see which was the better deal. So somehow they had come to this point in all of their shopping. They were in the middle of the toilet paper aisle. And she had a toilet bowl uh, bag in her hand, and she was reading the packaging. And he had a calculator, and he was punching in numbers, trying to figure out what was the best deal per individual sheet, this single ply or this double ply. Now, it sounds funny, but it happens. 
And the idea is simple, isn't it? You, you know that you've got a limited budget and you want to work within it. You need to get used to all of the new situations and the pricing. But in, the problem was, in all of this newness and all of this uncertainty, their ability to make a decision ground to a halt. In, in fact, they became paralyzed and unable to make any decision at all. Now, it sounds crazy, but much the same thing happened to me just the other day. I mean, I don't have an excuse for being in a new country or learning a new language. You see, I, I needed a new mouse pad for my desk at home. Uh, I'd been digging around on Amazon for a little while, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get it this afternoon. And so I decided, okay, I, I don't want a simple little mouse pad. I want a bigger pad that's a desk size. And then I realized, you know what, I, I don't want something that's cheap plastic. I want something that's a faux leather that feels nice, that looks good. And that's where my problem started. You know what? There, there are so many different kinds, so many different varieties, so many different companies, and each one has its pluses and minuses. What size was I going to get? Was I going to get a, a traditional color or something a little more aesthetic? I, I was actually leaning towards the purple, but ended up with a green. Now, once I had narrowed it down to two or three, then I took the fatal mistake of actually going to the ratings, of going to the subpages, reading and rereading the descriptions, uh, and, and trying to look at the ratings of the stars, where people have had problems with this company, with this product in the past. Is it really as good as all the hype that they, the, the company gives it? After quite a while, I, I just found myself frozen paralyzed in front of the screen, unable to make a decision. I couldn't believe it. Now, these examples may sound silly, even trivial or lighthearted, but they reflect the message of the passage we're going to look at this morning, Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. And that is, it's easy when we don't have all of the information or we're faced with all of the uncertainties of life to fail to take advantage of the situations that come our way. Now, as we start our morning in the word, uh, in the our time in the Word of God, I, I want to propose a purpose statement for our study together. Because we don't know what God will bless or prosper, we are to act boldly yet wisely to build the kingdom of God. Let me say that again: because we don't know what God will bless and prosper, we are to act boldly yet wisely to build the kingdom of God. Now, from the opening words of this of this wonderful book we've been reminded time and time and time again that life is vanity and it's not simply that life is fleeting but it's also beyond our ability to understand let alone control and we've been reminded time and time again as well that part of this vanity is the reality that wickedness and evil exist and, and even dominate so often in the world because of sin this means that life is paradoxical. It's upside down. Good things happen to bad people. Evil seems to dominate or prevail over the, uh, over the righteous all the time. And justice rarely seems to win the day. Beyond that, no matter how much we may want otherwise, the race is not won by the strongest, the fittest, or even the righteous. We're told that there is a season for everything, including death, including war. And we're also told that we're really no better off than the beasts of the field because at the end, death awaits us all, just like the net of the fishermen. 
Despite this, however, there is meaning to life under the sun. If our eyes are fixed on the one who is above the sun, the one who is creator and sustainer of all of this, God, and there's great value in godly wisdom as an aid to get us through this life on to the next. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning is given the vanity of this life and the brokenness of the world around us, how are we to best spend our time and resources? How are we to make best use of the days that God has given us? Well, number one in our text, point number one is we're going to see we're to risk boldly. Because life is unpredictable and uncertain, because we can't understand the beginning of things from the end of things, because evil and injustice seem to always prevail, knowing what we're to invest ourselves in, how to wisely use our day, it's, it's almost impossible, isn't it? So we can end up feeling like uh, uh, that family in Costa Rica or, or myself, just paralyzed at the decisions that we have to make, unable to look at what may be the the most profitable and useful, the most glorifying to God, and then do that. We face this unpredictability in every aspect of life, don't we? Is this the right time for me to change jobs? Is this the woman or the man that I'm to marry? Is it the proper time for me to change cities, to change churches? You know, you could spend years and tens of thousands of dollars in education. Is this, is there going to be a job for me after, after uni? Uh, we don't know. So despite this uncertainty, the preacher gives us two commands. First one, he says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, there are some translations that render it roughly as this. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you will receive it. But I want to encourage you, that's not a good translation. Because the predominant idea here is not an economic investment and income. It's not investing in something and then waiting for the proper time for the investments to return. That's something that we've brought to the text from our mentality, our culture, our Western capitalist mindset No, the idea here is, in spite of the uncertainty of everything that's going on around us, of whatever may happen, we are to risk for the Lord, not expecting any great return here and now. Now, this is true in many aspects of life, but it's especially important in the kingdom of God. We are to look at the uncertainty of life and remember that God is working in and through all things for His glory. We're to remember that he is providentially moving all things to their appointed end in him. Even if we can't see or understand all of the hows and the whys of what he's doing, we have faith in him. This means that in our lives, there will be situations and opportunities that from a human perspective seem whimsical, frivolous, or or even just folly. They're too risky, yet we are to risk boldly when those opportunities come because we risk for the Lord. The second command is give a portion to seven or to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, in this passage, it's been often explained in terms of what we call in our business world today risk management. We might say something like 
don't put all your eggs in one basket. The argument is that if verse 1 talks about investments, then verse 2 talks about minimizing risks in the investment. But again, we need to understand the immediate context here. And that context indicates that we are to be liberal with our generosity. Instead of risking and giving to just one thing, we're to spread that generosity around. Why? Because we just don't know what God will bless. We don't know what will fall flat. Now, in terms of the kingdom of God, a good example would be from a human perspective, there is great risk in supporting missionaries. Why? Well, there is a, a large cost in training them, in sending them, in maintaining them. The average missionary family now has to raise over $80,000 a year to, to stay in the field. And, and who knows, some will have a wonderful uh, impact for the kingdom of God in the places that God has called them. Others will have a minimal impact. Some will stay for years. Others will have to return after only a couple, couple years or even a few months. So the advice of the preacher is, in terms of missionaries, we need to be spreading that generosity around, perhaps supporting seven or eight missionaries instead of just one or two. And I'm glad to be in a church that understands that and has taken it to heart. Because not only do we give generously to each missionary, but we also share generously to many missionaries. We have many that we support. This isn't risk management. It's a way to maximize our imp impact for the kingdom of God. So the whole point of verses 1 and 2 is that we are to risk boldly to look at all of the opportunities around us to glorify God, and then our, invest our time, our resources, into as many of them as possible. When I think of all of the examples in the Old Testament of risking boldly, the number one example must be Esther. Here, here was a young Jewish woman who won the beauty contest of her day. The prize to become the queen of the Medes and the Persians. And having won it, one day she overhears Haman's plot to kill all the Jews in, a single, in, the, in the land in a single day. And she's torn because she, she would desire to save them, but to do so, first she must declare that she's also a Jew. Then she has to go under the king, present herself unannounced, and at that moment her life stands in balance. If he... Is not going, if he's not going to receive her, she would die. If she, does, if she is received, she would live, but she'd have to then plead on, uh, on behalf of her people. So the first four chapters uh, of the, the book of Esther is, is important to understand the plight of God's people. They're at the point of extinction, and God seems conspicuously absent from their everyday lives. Is evil going to triumph? Then we have... In chapter 4, verse, verse 14, such memorable words of Mordecai, her uncle. And these are the words. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. Did you catch that? And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. 
So we see here crystallized an Old Testament principle that there is a confluence of God's providential care, his divine circumstances and opportunities with the necessary responsibility of human interaction, of response in light of what God is doing, even if we can't understand what's going on, to pick up and risk boldly. From a human perspective, it was very risky for Esther, wasn't it? Haman's plot uh, seemed in place. It had the permission of the king. And once his word was out, it was law. It couldn't be changed. Yet Esther risked her life. And her words are this. I will go. And if I die, I die. And God used her to save the nation of Israel. This world is under the curse of sin unrighteousness injustice they often prevail yes life is uh unpredictable and the purpose of why things happen the way they do it's hidden from us in the mystery of god's sovereign design yet we're not left without a rudder here in this world to to go through the murky waters we know that god is sovereign he's building his kingdom and he's bringing all things to their rightful end in him. So as we come face to face with opportunities in this life, we are commanded to be bold. We are to take risks, not expecting rewards here and now, but to invest what we have, our time, our resources, even our very selves. So this all begs the question this morning, What are you risking? And are you risking boldly? What are you doing here and now for the kingdom of God? What are the divine opportunities that God is placing in your life that are a means for glorifying Him that are at your very fingertips at this moment? Who knows if this is not the very purpose for which God has placed you in that workplace, in that community? And this is all important for us to think about as a church as we how we're going to come out of this pandemic because we we see god is at work we see this coming together of divine opportunity and human response the necessity of interacting by faith what kind of a spiritual family do we want to be do we wish to have a greater impact spiritually on, on the community around us Do we want to see more people come to saving faith in Christ? If these things are there, then we must become a church that is willing to take risks. To recognize our unique placement in this community, in in the places where we live. To recognize the unique giftedness and makeup that, that we are as a family of God. And to pick up the gauntlet of opportunity that has come to us before us. We must grasp for a holy boldness for the glory of the Lord, a boldness that is not just willing but eager to strike forth, to create God-glorifying ministries, to build edifying opportunities to grow and to serve, all without worrying about what the long-term benefit or or the short-term gain would be for us here and now. Now, I'm sure there are some of us sitting here this morning with a nagging thought in the back of their mind, you know, with uncertainty and unpredictability. Predictability, you know, we're not meeting together. Our finances, uh, you know, our, our family. Is this the right time to be thinking of new ministries? Is this the right time to be thinking of a refurbish or a new building? Well, the preacher addresses that in verses five and or three, three through five. 
In verse 3, he reminds us that there are laws of nature that seem predictable, yet they're beyond our ability to control. Clouds are heavy with rain, and they'll drop the rain where God designs it. Trees will fall, and where they fall, they will lie. Verse 5 reminds us that the ways of God are, are far above our ability to even comprehend. It's like, how, how do we understand that the Spirit of God enters a woman's womb and creates life? No matter how hard we try, there are so many things that are beyond our control, beyond our, even our, our ability to understand. And we're warned not to be like the farmer in verse 4. The, that farmer is always watching the sky, always gauging the wind in order to plant when he thinks it's the most appropriate time, when it's the most propitious time in his understanding, according to everything lining up. But in watching the clouds and waiting for the right combination of wind and rain, he fails to reap a harvest because he misses the opportunity to plant. Now, in verses 4 and 5, there's an important play on words here that we miss in our English translation. And it's key to understanding what's going on here. So in verse 4, the word in Hebrew for wind is ruach, meaning the natural wind. It blows outside. In verse 5, the word for spirit of God is also ruach. It's like in Genesis where God blows into Adam the breath of life. And here's the importance of the wordplay. In waiting and watching for the natural ruach, ruach or natural wind, we miss the supernatural ruach of God. In our desire to maximize our returns, to minimize our risks, we can wait and watch for what we think are all of the right indicators, the right time to do something, according to all the natural movement and laws of nature around us, the predictable patterns, and we miss out on the fullness of God's spiritual blessings because we miss out on God's timing. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 God tells us something amazing about himself. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, putting this understanding into practice, I think, is greater, a greater challenge for us today than when the book of Ecclesiastes was originally written. Because our, our whole culture is warped around this idea of maximizing opportunities, minimizing risk, making the biggest buck, the biggest gain on our investment. And we wait for that right opportunity. If we need a computer, we'll wait and watch for the sales on Black Friday. Cyber Monday, or even the New Year's Day sales. If we want a car, we wait for the right car maker to have 0% financing. If we're wanting to close a deal, we strike when we think the iron is hot and not before. You can even go onto Amazon and say, I want to be advised when this item is reduced in price, and Amazon will send you an email when the price drops to its most propitious opportune time for you. That's how much we're focused on this. Unfortunately, that same mentality often comes into the church. We want to maximize our spiritual efforts. Uh, we rate our ministries or compare them. And we allocate funds according to what we think is the most important. Things that it, effectiveness of ministry is based on the number of people who are sitting here on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're 
we rate our effectiveness on the number of people who are baptized, the number of people who come into membership. No, no, don't get me wrong. We need to plan. We need to be wise. But the point of the preacher here is that we must never become a people who are paralyzed to act when God moves because we are waiting for what we think is the best time. We must never become reluctant to throw caution to the wind when the Spirit of God moves despite the uncertainties of life. Because eternal spiritual dividends are determined by God in His timing, they're, they're things that are often not visible to us, aren't they? They're things that are usually things that we can't measure on the short term. And they're so often in direct disproportion to what we expect. Now, in verse 6, the preacher goes on to tell us the second thing is to so constantly, so, so continually. And he tells us that because the ways of God are mysterious and unpredictable, we are to be about the business of sowing constantly from no morning to night. Yes, life is unpredictable, but God's ways are mysterious. Since life is uncertain and we're unable to know what God will bless, we need to be generous and continually sowing our blessings. Since our lives are short and, and uh, the Lord could call us home tonight, we must be about the business of the kingdom of God, even if what we want to invest in seems foolish according to the world's standards. It's not enough to simply sow a few seeds and then wait. We need to be constantly sowing, even if it doesn't seem like their opportune time. Not waiting for what we think is that opportune time when all of the, the, the indicators are there, we were to risk boldly and generously for God, continually. It's a spiritual principle that we see in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, isn't it? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So I need to ask you again, what are you risking? Is it a little or is it a lot? How often are you risking? Are you risking regularly? Are you risking boldly? What are you doing for the kingdom of God here and now? Or are you simply waiting for the right time to do something? When our lives are less busy, when the kids get a little older and they can look after themselves, when our finances are better in shape, then, then we'll do something, Lord. But until then, we're, we're going to wait for those signs. Well, I, I want to let you in on a little secret. <laughs> there is no risk. Living and serving God is never a risky venture. If we've been purchased by the blood of Christ, and if everything we have has been given to us as a trust, then there's nothing to risk, is there? Even if I am to give everything I have, including my very life, it's not a risk because my salvation is sure in Jesus Christ. When we sow, we don't sow in the light of the uncertainties of life. We sow in the assurance of the character and the nature of God. When we sow continuously and generously, we sow not for immediate gain, but for the glory of God that is yet to be revealed. It's never a question of risk. It's a question of faith. When Stephen started to preach in Acts chapter 7 to the crowds, it was because his faith in the resurrection power of Christ was greater than his fear of death. 
when Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the Wittenberg church door, it was because his faith in the Bible as the only authoritative rule of life outweighed any threat of being excommunicated or even killed by the church. When Don and Carol Richardson decided to evangelize the Sawi people of New Guinea, a, a people who were not only headhunters, but also cannibals, it was because their faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ was for all peoples, there, it was greater than their faith of rejection or death. We just have to look at the history of the church. All of the great advances of the church are not so much uh, one of great risks, but of men and women of great faith who seize opportunities that come their way. Faith that is greater than the uncertainties of life. A faith that is rock solid, a resolve in the blood of Christ. A faith that is nothing less than the foolishness of the cross. We can also point to the greatest mishap uh, greatest missed opportunity in the history of, the, of Christianity. Because we know about 700 years ago, the great warlord Kublai Khan wrote to Pope Gregory X, and he says, send me your 100 brightest theologians or priests of the day. And if they can simply you know, tell me and prove to me that theirs is the, is the truth, then I will be converted. And not only that, but my leaders will be baptized, and we will become a, a follower, a nation of followers of, of your God. Unfortunately, King, uh, Pope Gregory II couldn't see the opportunity that was presented before him. And he only sent two priests, and neither of them made it to Asia. And we know the end of the story, don't we? So Khan's empire, which was one-fifth of the globe at the time, including what is now China, became followers of Buddhism. All because one man couldn't see the opportunity presented to him. Ultimately, it's not a question, or the question isn't simply, are you willing to risk all for the sake of the gospel, but how great is your faith to seize every divinely appointed opportunity that comes your way? The question is not whether we have five talents or two talents or one talent, as we see in, the, in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talent. It, it's, it's to give of our all, to invest everything for the kingdom of God, our influence, our money, our understanding, our knowledge, our wealth, our strength, our time, our senses, our, our very reason for the Lord. Do we love and want to please God? Do we sow in the light of a coming judgment yet to come? The servant who received one talent and buried it and gave it back without any return He's not judged for failing to give the same amount of increase as the other. He's, he's judged for failing to use what he had to serve his master. How are we going to stand before the Lord this morning? What are the divine opportunities that confluence of God's providential care and grace and the necessity of human interaction to, by faith, do something? I pray that we truly desire to be a church that reaches out, to the church that commits itself wholeheartedly to the kingdom of God for the glory of our Savior. And we simply do it to hear one day uh, that our, our Heavenly Father receives us with great joy, that we share in His joy. I pray that it is us this morning. Let us pray. Our wonderful Heavenly Father, 
Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking it and, and digging deep down within us and, and planting that so that it might bear fruit. Over the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come, may that fruit continue to grow, to bloom, to change us ever more into the image of Christ. And so we thank you that you have met with us through your word. Continue to lead in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. What a great morning it is to be with you. I have no announcements. So I just merely want to say, as you go forth this morning, go in the grace, the power, and the wonderful love of Jesus Christ. Desire with all of your being to invest everything that you are for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of your Savior. Go in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.